Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. Our introduction from yesterday bears repeating. Whenever you face a choice, you'll find yourself before some picture, some image in your mind, either of what you're hoping for in the future that influences your choice, or what you're responding to from the past. Images guide our choices. And so, to make the right choice, you have got to set your mind's eye on the right images. You might remember when Satan came and was tempting the Lord Jesus after his baptism, that there were three kind of sessions of temptation. And you'll see in each one of them, there was a visual element to it. He was trying to manipulate with the Lord Jesus and how the Lord Jesus would respond by giving the Lord Jesus a vantage point and trying to interpret what it was he was seeing. Satan does that all the time. One of the ways that he leads you into sin is he, he brings you through a review of some sin that you've had in the past in your life and how you're in bondage to that sin. And he actually provokes in you certain desires as the memory comes to your mind. And he says, oh, you see, you still have a desire for that. And oh, you still have a memory for it. That's because that's what you were made for. And he tries to coax you into it that way. And well, Satan basically can only work with memories and the emotions that we have that are attached to them. And then he interprets false He interprets false messages to them in order to lead us into compromise. What we're supposed to do, actually, is we're supposed to look at those things and we're supposed to add to it not our memories and our emotions, but God's word and God's thought and God's truth. Actually, the other thing that Satan will do is Satan is not opposed to quoting Scripture to you. Satan is not opposed to actually highlighting something you might hear in the pastor's message and saying, ah, you remember when he said that? See, keep that in mind. Listen, I want to tell you, any passage of Scripture that you ever read that becomes a source of justifying some compromise in your life, some letting go of a sense where you know God is leading you and God is calling you, that justifies you laying down your life in some ground of mediocrity, some lack of surrender, any message you hear from any man or any person or any teacher, any message, a good message, that you take away from it a takeaway that somehow justifies some area of compromise in your life is a message that's not being tended to you by the Spirit of God, but by Satan himself. He's taking, he's using it, he's manipulating it, and sometimes he doesn't have to work very hard to take my words and manipulate them if I say something to you and turn it and twist it in some false way, because I'm not inerrant. I make errors. I don't know what's going on in people's lives, and... I might speak and say things sometimes because that word has been twisted a little bit in my mind because of my own perspective. And it's one of the scary things about preaching. Oh, God. It's not being in front of people. And I know most people are afraid of speaking in public, but I've never really had a significant problem with that fear. But I do have a fear of saying those things that are not based upon the word of God. Saying those things that are not agreement with the Holy Spirit. And I I know that it's possible. And I know the enemy will seize a hold of that thing, drive it home to a person's ear, or to guide them into something false and untrue. And anyhow, if you ever hear anything from me that you remember that becomes justification for any compromise in your life, it was tended over by the Satan himself and not the Spirit of God. 
You ever bring to your mind some Bible verse that you read that is used as justification from area of compromise in your life? Satan's quoting it, not the Lord Jesus. Satan took Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verses 9 and 11. And here's one of the temptations he gave. He took Jesus and he gave him a view of the temple. It says here, Then he brought him, speaking of Jesus, to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle, on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to them, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, here he quotes scripture, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Our Lord Jesus answered him by quoting the word of God right back, saying, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Just be careful. Be paying attention. Find out if the word as it's being presented to you and as you're reading it and studying it and as you're listening to it being expounded, find out always that it's driving you into deeper and deeper obedience and surrender to Christ. And if it isn't, it's not being tended by the Spirit of God in your life. In preparing to choose what is right, it's our responsibility to gain the proper vantage point. In making our decisions, it's proper and right for us to make sure that we're looking at our decisions in the right way and we're piling up, you might say, the right information and the right understanding. Go to Joshua chapter 24. I want to read to you an extensive passage of Scripture. It's Joshua 24, verses 1 through 15. There's a verse in here at the end of it that you all recognize. Many people have taken it and have stitched it, cross-stitched it, and framed it and put it in their homes. It's where Joshua says, But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. Often it looks very nice on a little banner and you can calligraphy it or you can stitch it into cross stitch and it looks nice hanging at some place. I recommend, you know, in your family room or somewhere in the kitchen where you see it offering or over your dining room table. But I just want you to see the vantage point that Joshua has before he says this. Beginning in verse 1. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and called for the elders of Israel for their heads and for their judges and for their officers, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, and the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from the other side of the river and led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir to possess, but to Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. I also sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt according to what I did among them. Afterward, I brought you out. And then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your father with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. So they cried out to the Lord, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, brought the seas in upon them, and covered them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And then you dwelt in the wilderness a long time. And I brought you into the land of the Amorites, who dwelt on the other side of the Jordan, and they fought with you. But I gave them into your hand, that you might possess their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose to make war against Israel and sent and called Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Therefore, he continued to bless you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And then you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the men of Jericho fought against you. Also the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Hevites and the Jebusites. But I delivered them into your hand. 
I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, so that the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. I drove them out, but I did it, not even by your hand. I didn't even use you as a medium for it. I have given you a land from which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and of the olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods that your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see what God is doing through Joshua on this occasion? There's a point of choosing for them, isn't there? But if you're going to make your choice, get into your mind what God has done for you. Get in your mind how God has been at work through your life. See how He's been leading and guiding and preparing all the way. Now, choose. Now, choose what you'll do. The vantage point for choosing to do the right thing in the will of God comes from remembering what God has done. Over all of your choices, you have to recall what God has done through the whole of your life. What God has done in the past. You have to ask yourself, is this consistent with the way of God in my life and the way of God's blessing in my life and the way of God's work in my life? Is this consistent with the graces He's bestowed upon me? Is this consistent with the purposes of His goodness? You know, the Bible says that the goodness of God is meant to lead us to repentance. It actually means the goodness of God is meant to turn us into Him. Putting in your mind not only what God has done throughout your life, but put in your mind what God is doing at the, that present moment in your life when you're deciding it. And can I tell you what God is doing at the moment, every choice and every decision? He's saying, as it says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and I'll sit with him and he with me. In other words, before every choice in your life, what God is doing is God is giving you an opportunity and he's extending you an invitation to enter into that point of choosing to commune with you and fellowship with you and make his presence known to you. So, in making your decision, the decision has to be, will my answer in this decision be a yes to his presence? A yes to his wanting to reach in and be present in my life and reside with me and commune with me? Or will my answer in this decision be a rejection of his presence? Sometimes we don't really know what to choose. Sometimes there's no moral, seemingly moral right or wrong. But what will guide us is this one desire. Whatever the choice is, Lord... I want your presence. This last month I had to make a decision. I didn't know exactly what I should do. And so my prayer went like this. Lord, I am really stupid. I am dumb. I do not know whether this is a good choice or not. You know, it seems good to me. It seems right. But God, if it isn't your will, stop me. Don't let me succeed in it. Reverse things because I only want to know you in everything I do. Get the right vantage point. Every act of the will rises out of whatever you've put before your eyes and put before your mind in that choice. You can paint a picture of your own desires and your own deserving. 
You can paint a picture or let the enemy paint a picture for you. Or you can pause and you can stop and you consider what God has done for you and what God is doing before you in the present moment. That he's knocking at the door of your heart in every act and every decision. And he's wanting to live in your decisions and to commune in your life and in your actions. Get a right vantage point for your choosing. That's the first angle of a noble will. Here's the second angle. It's this. Once you get the right vantage point, you've got to put a declaration behind your choosing. You have to put a declaration behind your willing. And that declaration has to be consistent with what God has done or purposed in your life and what God is doing in your life. It has to be, we have to speak God's words after Him and we have to declare them for ourselves. I don't believe in some idea that our words have power, but they only have power in this sense. They only have power when they're words that are declared in agreement with what God His Spirit has put in our hearts to say. At the moment that a person is truly born again and they're saved, the Holy Spirit moves into that person's life and God begins to live within us. And one of the things God immediately begins to do is God begins to cultivate within you a desire to do the right thing in your life. You get to the end of every one of the epistles of Paul where Paul begins to give instructions on how people ought to live. Don't defraud one another. Don't lie to one another. You know, work and labor with your own hands to provide. And he gives all kinds of different instructions how to live before your government, how to live before lost men, how to live before other brothers and sisters in the church. Paul is not saying, here are a list of things that, you know, you might, you ought to do. If you're really a Christian, you ought to do this and you ought to do that. Paul actually is doing this. If you're a believer, here are the things you want to do. Here's what you want to do. And if you're a Christian and you read it, you say, yes, that's what I want to do. I couldn't define it. No, but yes, of course. I want to speak truth. I want to bless and curse not. Thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.